0: Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. It is Friday morning. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your early weekend to come hang out with Raj and I on the live stream. We're competing with a Kevin Durant uh, uh, spaces with Bansky this morning. So for those of you who are choosing us, we sincerely appreciate you and 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 your loyalty. Raj, how you doing this morning, man?
1: Doing great, man. Doing great. It's a beautiful Friday morning. Uh, got my workout in in the morning and, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice, nice out here. How about you?
0: Uh, it was good. I played some basketball this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm super lucky to have access to a gym now and, uh, no one has the gym after we play, so I go and I play, and then I stick around and I get shots up. It allows me to work on my game in a in a way that I haven't been able to do for the most part during the pandemic. Um, uh, and I love. We were just talking. Roger and I were just talking before the pod, like how awesome it feels to get uh, a workout in in the morning to start your day. It just gets your whole body you know, woken up, and 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 just it just sets the tone for the rest of the day and helps you get going. Um uh so th- we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today the, uh, we're going to talk about last night's uh, Miami Heat game. We're going to talk about Ben McLemore's debut. We're going to talk about Andre Drummond and how he looks so far. We're going to talk about Dennis Schroeder and how he's been uh, struggling a little bit as of late. Um, and then uh, uh, Raj and I both want to talk for a little while about the uh, the most recent podcast uh, that uh, Bansky did with, uh, with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. I thought there was a bunch of super interesting stuff in there that we're going to get to at the end. Um, but let's start with the Lakers. So, you know, the, uh, if you were to look back a week or so ago um you would have marked this one as a loss uh not just a loss but a game that the Lakers would have just got absolutely destroyed and uh um you know I actually went into last night's game with a little bit of optimism thinking they could win and, and the reason why is they've kind of figured out a formula without LeBron and AD we're defending our ass off for the record in the 10 games since LeBron went down uh without LeBron and AD they're third in the league in defense so they're still guarding like crazy, they're starting to make some shits in a way that they weren't making earlier. They just they have a little mm-hmm. bit of a formula. They're rocking with that formula, and they're winning some basketball games, four and six, which is a hell of a lot better than we all inspec- expected beforehand. Um, uh, what, were you, what were your early impressions after watching last night's game?
1: Yeah, so like I like to go back and watch because it's hard to kind of catch everything you want to see live. And I was looking at Andre Drummond, and to me, he's like, He's like Wes Matthews in a big body, right? He matches all their guards physicality except at the big. So he's really nice. He can switch. He was in a defensive stance and uh, both of us kind of were on the Andre Drummond train, right? We were saying that, uh, he's going to be better than he looked in that Bucks game. After he kind of hurt his toe. And that's the main thing that stood out to me. I think he had like 15 points, 10 rebounds or something like that. But his steals, he got a lot of hands on the ball. Um, He was able to uh, trap and kind of help and recover. And that's the main thing to me to see him fit in. I feel like last night was like um, house money, right? Like after they beat all the teams they were supposed to. uh, Last night, it was just kind of like, hey, go play free and try to get a win. And that Miami team is a lot better probably than their record would dictate, right? They're 26 and 24 or something. And they're still like the fourth seed, which shows kind of the difference in the conference. But they're a lot better than they show. And they're very switch heavy. They have a lot of, of big wings. And Sprostra who's one of the best coaches in the league, trapped every single time our ball handlers because he knew we had no one who can dribble besides Schroeder, who couldn't dribble last night either. But uh, he, had, he had a tough time. But yeah, to trapped every single time. And that kind of really messed up our offensive flow. But I thought the defense, like you said, is just consistent, played really well. I think they held Miami to like 98 with like... a five minutes left or something four minutes left so defense was good Jimmy Butler took over late but yeah that was a really good I mean you don't want moral moral losses or moral wins however they say it but that was a good game I mean that's a good Miami team that can beat a lot of really good teams so yeah I'm happy I thought Drummond played well we'll speak on Macklemore a little later but uh what what else did you see from last night
0: Going, going into the game, I actually thought the, the, the Lakers had a legitimate chance to win and they hung around. And, you know, as, it, like you said, Jimmy Butler took over late. There were big moments where the Lakers got close. Think like, you know, end of the, the second quarter, there was a moment, even middle of the fourth quarter where they got within three, I believe. And just at that point, you know, the talent advantage for Miami took over, but it was something that I thought they had a chance to win. And here's the deal. If, You know, in this next four games that we're looking at, most likely, you know, uh, Mark Stein hinted that Anthony Davis is going to try to come back on the 17th. That's exactly four weeks to the day uh, since LeBron um, uh, hurt his uh, uh, ankle. So there's a realistic chance that LeBron could be coming back, too. So we're looking at basically uh, best case scenario, another four games. And in these four games, with exception of the Brooklyn one with Kevin Durant, they have a legitimate chance to win. And I think, I think it's been really cool to see, uh, I think Frank Vogel, he, he's not going to get coach of the year just because there's better options, but he's, he has proven, in my opinion, to be the best defensive coach in basketball. Uh, uh, the fact that you can, he could plug in play basically inferior defensive talent and put together a defense that competes like this, I think goes to show you where his area of expertise is. He gets a lot of flack for what he does on the offensive end, um, but what he's done with his defense, I think is, is truly remarkable. Now, I think the Schroeder thing was interesting. You mentioned, you know, how he was kind of sloppy with his handle. I think people, uh, all basketball fans, have to kind of reframe the way that we analyze uh, uh, what an offensive basketball player does in his role. So, for instance, like that's what makes these superstars so amazing. Like Dennis Schroeder is struggling because he's getting all the defensive attention. He's coming off the pick and roll. Miami's trapping them when he drives into the lane. Everybody's collapsing on him. Everybody's reaching on Dennis. Everything is geared towards stopping Dennis because they know the rest of the roster isn't great at creating their own shot. And that's what makes the LeBrons and the KDs and the Stephs and all these guys so amazing. Is they've been getting that their entire career. Literally, that's what they deal with. And you know, to Schroeder's credit, even though he struggled in a lot of ways turning the ball over, creating his own shot, he did like draw enough attention that the other guys around him on the floor were able to get going. And and I think that that is to his credit. He had a specific job. And he's not a superstar, so he's not going to have a ton of success as the number one option. But he did draw attention. He did help get Wesley Matthews going. He helped get KCP going. He helped get everybody going just by eating up the primary defensive attention. And, And I think that there's value in that. And then to his credit, he still defended on the other end
1: yeah I like where you went with that with the superstars because what do they do they break down a defense right that's what superstars do now the best ones like LeBron can manipulate a defense to do what he wants but most of the superstars they can break down defense Anthony Davis Kawhi Leonard any of those Dennis Schroeder isn't that and also his height kind of makes makes up for that as well so like last night but there were some passes man like you knew that they were going to trap every single time. And he kept trying to throw that, like, jump pass out, and it got stolen at least five times by Iguodala, Trevor Ariza, name another wing that, you know, just picked him off. But, yeah, he's not – he's no more attacking an an already collapsed defense because that's that's where I think he's best, right? When LeBron breaks down, takes to the Schroeder, and now you have to stop his speed attacking the rim, and then he can find, like, Trez. And he found Trez a few times in the dunker spot last night. He did a nice job trying to control the offense tell KCP where to go, come off screens and uh, try to run and keep things under control. Uh, but yeah, it, it's tough without those two. And you saw last night, like he, he kept driving to the rim, trying to get contact. Miami got like 18 free throws in the first, and I think he thought that he can kind of manipulate that as well. But um, yeah, it was it was nice to see that uh, he kind of got it going late. Like he was able to kind of control the offense later than uh, early because early he had a lot of turnovers. But he got it going a little bit. He had like a layup driving on Bam late. But yeah, it's tough without them, and it's kind of I don't think you should expect shorter to really you know be able to replace those two. But still, I think we can expect better from him. I mean, like he had a nice he had a nice amount of assists. But still, I feel like he could have played a little bit better. Like, those turnovers were just, some of them were just giving them away. Like, I think that was the worst, worst probably ball handling game he's had as a Laker. But again, that coincides with not having LeBron. So it's not not too unexpected. But you're right, like superstars, they bend a defense. And he's not that, yeah, he's a really nice player. But uh, yeah, expecting him to, like, fit that role. I thought Alice Caruso did a nice job when he came in. But again, he's kind of making the more simple play. just trying to drive in, get his floaters, all that stuff. And nothing was going, which which happens sometimes.
0: He he was absolutely sloppy with the ball. That goes without saying. Uh, there was a play to start. He had a, a sequence to start the second half where he like brought the ball up the floor and dribbled off his foot out of bounds. And then on the very next play, like, drove to the left and, like, threw a swing pass right as the dude was cutting away from him and threw it out of bounds. And then, like, two possessions later, he drives baseline and steps on the baseline. Like, you could tell he was flat out struggling with all that defensive attention. And you're right. Like, we we should expect uh, him to be better than that. All mm-hmm. I'm saying is that, like you know uh, his job is hard right now and Mm -hmm. and I think I think we all need to gain a new appreciation for uh, uh for the way that these stars have to deal with that type of defensive attention night in and night out and you know LeBron LeBron does such an amazing job of this like LeBron is like he's like I'm literally going to manipulate the defense through passing through finding openings so that I create openings for myself. you know you see Dennis Schroeder driving into the paint, and there 's just six set of mm-hmm. arms around him and and he 's he's, the guys who are reaching in or knocking the ball loose with LeBron because he 's able to to uh, keep the defense spread with his uh, passing ability all of a sudden, those driving lanes are there. LeBron is frequently called you know one of the best drivers of the basketball that that we see in the league right now, and it has it has a lot to do with his physical tools, but it, to me the majority of it comes from his ability to pass the basketball. And that's the kind of stuff where you know Dennis, uh, uh, he needs to uh, he he can create plays. He had a bunch of assists last night. He needs to see how. That sort of thing will then open things up for him. But when LeBron and AD come back, you can see where he fits in the offense. It's going to be attacking bigs on switches when there's more space. It's going to be, you know, when he gets the screen and roll, they're going to switch it. They're not going to trap because if they trap Dennis and let LeBron and AD play four on three, they're going to get absolutely destroyed. Uh, things are just going to open up more for him. And the same goes for Drummond. We talked, and this is a good time to move over to Drummond. You know, he's not a good ball handler. And every time he puts the ball on the floor, I feel like he's going to turn it over. He's just clumsy, and he's sloppy, and he's the definition of a guy who has all sorts of natural ability, but just all of the fine detail type stuff in his game is off, and it throws everything off for him. Um, uh, but the, the bottom line is they're not going to ask him to do that ever. Uh, it's just not going to be his role. And like when they do throw it to him on the block, it's going to be because he has a specific mismatch, you know, when he, uh, when he does put the ball on the floor, it's going to be because he caught it in a pick and roll at the free throw line and the lane is cleared and he's going to be dribbling once and going into a statue of Liberty dunk. Like that's, that's going to be the way his role is, is defined. Uh, When he gets to that point and I just you know, I I think they have a chance to win some of these games and they do it through Dennis creating creating everything and dumping the ball to Andre Drummond on the block, but that's not going to be their formula when LeBron and AD come back.
1: Yeah, I said before, like, look, those Drummond post-ups are never going to be efficient. Like, that's never going to be a good shot, right? Or something that analytics kind of um, proposes as a shot. But, you know, it can eat a possession. And I think that's important because the lake, I mean, that's better than a turnover, right? And someone needs to shoot. I mean, in that starting lineup, to be fair to, to Dennis, he's the only guy that can create a shot, really, right? You're not going to have KCP run ball screens. And then the next, the next only option is to give it to Drummond and let him try to post. He drew some fouls on Bam. Um, he had some flip shots. He can get his own offensive rebound. He had a few nice putback dunks um early in the game. So, yeah, and I thought he played well. I mean, obviously, like, I think people were more upset that Mark didn't get any minutes, but I think we discussed that, like, this is just how it's going to go. They want to see what they have, how Drummond's going to play, fit him in. And again, fair to Dennis, like, They were running some lineups last night. They had McKinney, Macklemore out there with Dennis, Drummond. Like, it was just some weird lineups. People don't know when to cut, when to stay there. Um, Macklemore cut, I think, one time and Dennis threw it out of bounds or McKinney did the same thing late in the game. So, yeah, I think it was a really nice game uh, and uh, Drummond's going to help a lot. You could see his physicality. He was able to move Bam off his spot. He was able to kind of stay there in the post bam was bam hit a few mid-range jumpers but i think you live with that so i think him and ad like that's where i was looking at i want to get your kind of thought on this because when i was watching drummond last night i just kept imagining him next to anthony davis another really leaping guy when he's healthy you can jump double jump triple jump and then kind of like you know stay grounded get rebounds offensive rebounds so i what do you think about when those two kind of play together how how they'll be able to fit um on the floor
0: well, it's a natural fit. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is like, you know, uh, a Drummond is good at kind of patrolling around the paint, which gives Anthony. Davis the ability to roam a little bit because Anthony Davis is, is Anthony Davis was so good last year on switches when they would you know he gets switched onto Jamal Murray he gets switched onto Kawhi and he'd be able to play defense out in space but the Lakers would typically get hurt on the back end on the offensive glass and and a lot of that had to do with the fact that they couldn't play Dwight or JaVale for various reasons and if if Drummond proves to be you know talented enough to continue to play then he kind of resolves that problem you know he, I thought he was good uh, holding his ground against Bam as well. When he did lose him for those mid-range jump shots, it was typically because he was helping. Like they were wide open jump shots for Bam because Andre was in rotation. He was he was helping elsewhere on the floor. That's his job. That's what he's doing in the defense. And you'd prefer to give up that type of shot to Bam. Um, with Anthony Davis, it's more or less, uh, like I said, the ability to have Anthony Davis defend fours. And, and by allowing Anthony Davis to defend fours, you have this like crazy freaky lanky dude flying around uh chasing dudes off the line and 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 uh guarding the other team's perimeter player because you have uh, andre drummond who can play your traditional defensive center it's just a flexibility thing and and with marcus all who's been okay as a defensive five this year and and with montrez harrell they just didn't have that piece uh who could kind of re like kind of reestablish that same defensive identity they had last year with dwight um, the other thing with Drummond that I thought was interesting is like I don't know how you weaponize this because I feel like throwing the ball to Drummond in the post when with LeBron and ad is kind of a waste. But man, like like guys can't guard him. like, like he misses he misses <laughs> shots, but like like he guys can't guys can't guard him. like he's he's, he's got enough speed and enough strength that he gets to his shot like he gets to his uh, his little sweeping hook and like yeah he's going to miss it a lot and like Miami fouled him a lot yesterday and mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where i remember sitting there thinking like i don't i don't know that you ever go to this but like I, 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 don't feel like it's a complete waste to dump it down to him on the block. Cause I, I do feel like there's a high percentage chance that he's going to either get to the rim or get fouled. Uh, I just, I just don't necessarily think it's a, it's a, it should be anything more than just a bailout. Like LeBron's running the bench lineup. AD's on the bench. LeBron is is kind of fatigued because he's been really aggressive over the last three possessions. It's not the end of the world to throw it into Drummond for something like that. Whereas with Dwight, I never felt like he was uh, as successful at drawing fouls and getting to his spots offensively.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like last year when they would just throw it into JaVale and be like, hey, go crazy. You know, like, hey, go have a possession. Like, this is yours. And if LeBron was tired or AD didn't feel like doing it, you know, and he would he would get a look at the rim. He'd shoot some skyhook and then it wouldn't really go in very many times. But I think Drummond's a little better than JaVale in terms of like posting up. He does a good job of like duck ins, right? He gets really low and he has a really nice wide base that he, he gives the, uh, ball handler a nice target. I thought he got a really nice, he got a, he got a couple of really nice, uh, baskets down low doing that. He got fouled. He had like four straight free throws last night, which was nice seeing him, uh, hit his free throws as well. But yeah, like I, I don't think the post up is going to be anything that they use when it matters. But again, right now with no really offensive options, uh, Kuzma also, we don't know if he's back um tomorrow as well so that's the only real option here it's either Schroeder high screen or roll um if KCP has it going coming off screens and then it's Drummond in the post trying to get fouled um he had some nice passes as well um last night I was seeing he had a nice pass to Caruso on the cut uh he found West Matthew for a few threes so it's not like a black hole when it goes down there right like Trez if Trez gets the ball in the post he's shooting every time now that's an efficient shot but he's gonna shoot it every time I think Trez is like I think Tim um missed McBasketball, he uh said that Trez had like five times he kicked out in like 100 post possessions. So like when he gets it, <laughs> when he gets the ball down low, he's shooting it. I think Drummond's a little bit more. He'll kick it out. He'll find shooters. Um, So it's not like he's just going to get there and shoot every time. But like for some reason, he pulls out the Kyrie handles. He tries to in and out dribble, reverse when he's at the rim, when he can just dunk it. Those are the kind of frustrating things. But I think you'll live with that for now. His defense was great. I thought he played really well. So I think that was really nice. I feel like last night was his debut. I feel like that Milwaukee game kind of, I mean, after that first quarter, it was pretty much he was playing on one leg or one toe or nine toes, however you want to say it. Uh, But uh, yeah, I think last night was his debut and I thought he played really well.
0: Yeah. And it, it, like the, the passing out of the post was interesting. Like he, he's a rocket thrower. Like he's your, te- like he's got big hands. So you can palm the ball and you could tell like his favorite thing to do is just kind of like back him down and wait for one of the help defenders to just give like a little bit of like a strike zone for him to just launch a, a, a pass to. Um, and then that pass to Alex Caruso was actually really nice. It was one of the few times where he handled the ball pretty well, like didn't lose control of the ball at all. Um, right, and then uh uh just overall like i i i think i think I think you and I talked before his first game that we kind of expected this first stage of the Drummond experience to be a little sloppy and uh mm-hmm. and it has it's been good and bad um uh, but i think we I think we all uh expect more from him in a specific role when Lebron and niddy come back. What did you uh think of Ben McLemore's debut?
1: Yeah, so I feel like he was trying to force it. At least I thought the whole team was trying to uh, kind of get him shots, right? I think his first one was like a step back three. He hit one. He took a really quick one in the corner, but like I saw him, he had one where he was fouled by Duncan Robinson coming off the screen. And we don't have any other shooter who shoots like that, who can square up. He caught it squared on the curl, got right up into a shot. He got fouled. Um, and I think he's going to be great. I, like, I, I think it's funny. I don't think KCP played well last night because of Ben Malcolmore. I don't think it hurt though, to, like, have another shooter to, like, play your role, right? Like, oh, now my legs are feeling a little bit better. Now I can – now I'm going to run a little bit more, you know? So um, I thought he – kind of impacted that but yeah it was cool to see a guy that's in the corner that teams have to respect like teams have to fight over the screen over him he's not a great guy coming on screens but they can't cheat they can't go under like they do on Alex Caruso like they do on you know other shooters Caruso shooting 41% from three but he's still not respected as a shooter like Ben Malcolmore is you stick him in the corner it's hard to help off of um but i thought he kind of forced it last night which is expected but he had one I think his only made field goal was like a one where he's coming off the screen out of bounds and he hit like a fading jumper um, in the third. But I thought he was good. I thought his defense was fine. Um, I I didn't think I didn't see anything wrong. Like I didn't I didn't think he was a liability or anything last night. Like I thought he fit in to the scheme pretty well. Um, How about you? What did you see from him?
0: Yeah, defensively, I thought he fit into the scheme perfectly, which is what I I predicted, just because like his skill set is perfect for what Frank Vogel asks from the guards. Um, offensively, I thought he was forcing some things. I mean, it was kind of exactly what I expected in the sense that like, Ben didn't get any good looks last night. Like it wasn't like Ben was out there missing open shots. Like he was forcing things cause nothing was open. And that's going to change dramatically when he's playing with LeBron and AD. There were a couple of plays KCP, when LeBron and AD are out, his his whole focus on uh, offensively shifts to like, I'm going to get mine, you know, and he's a little bit more aggressive off the bounce. And for the record, he was great last night uh, shooting the basketball. So I'm not trying to say that he shouldn't be. Uh, But I thought there were there were a handful of plays where if KCP would have made an extra pass. Or if he was in his more traditional closeout, make a quick decision type of mind frame, that he would have hit Ben in the corner. There were two in the second half where I thought he had wide open shots that KCP missed him. Um, That kind of thing I I think is going to come back in time. But you're right. I mean, he gives you that weapon, the guy that can fly off the screens and is is a little bit more adept at drawing fouls, kind of like Terrence Ross type of vibe, but a backup mm-hmm. shooting guard who can just fly off the screens and pull from anywhere. Um, I tend to think that his his extremely quick release is perfect for uh, the Laker offense because one of LeBron's favorite things to do, it's like an energy saving thing, is out of the post or out from the top of the key and kind of like the Marcus All spot. He'll uh, just kind of survey the floor and just catch that one help defender that's just a step too close to the paint. And he'll just launch like a rocket pass and like LeBron basically pre-communicates whether it's before the game or before the play. Like, hey, if I hit you with this type of pass, I need you to shoot right away. Because it's almost like an energy saving play. Used to do with J.R. Smith all the time. He does it with KCP still now. But it's uh, like Ben McLemore's really quick release is perfect for that. And uh, I tend to think like, I wasn't an amazing, you know, starry debut by any stretch of the ed- imagination, but I have a feeling that he's actually going to be one of their crunch time guys when it comes to it, uh, uh, like even more than maybe a KCP, just because of the fact that I don't know if you noticed, but KCP's defense hasn't been great lately, and. And uh, I think I think Ben McLemore's a little bit more consistent shooting and a little bit better uh of an athlete. I think it gives him a chance to earn some of those minutes, particularly with
1: the closing group. I,
0: I remain very bullish on 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 Ben McLemore.
1: Yeah, you're really high on him. I I don't know if he'll be in the closing lineup. I think that's gonna be tough. We have you know, he's gonna have to beat out Caruso, KCP, all those other guards. But yeah, it's just cool. I mean, if he's hitting shots, he's gonna play. And um I thought last night it kind of showed. He also hit all his free throws, right? He was like four for four from the line. He's a good free throw shooter as well, just to add into that. And uh, he's really athletic. You don't think of him as like some athletic guard, but I mean, he does run up the floor. He runs to those corners. He gets to his spots. Um I, Again, I thought he was pressing last night and he's another guy that I would just temper expectations until LeBron and AD get back because those shots are going to be even more wide open. But um he had like all those passes that, like, you can't trap that way that Miami did if LeBron's on the court, right? You just can't. There's no way you can trap like that. So last night, his shots were a lot more contested. I thought all his threes were pretty contested. I think maybe one was open, but I remember that first one went in and out and he took another really contested one. The corner was also contested. So he'll get open looks of the Lakers and, uh, he hit his only real open shot, I thought. But yeah, he was, he was good. He's, I think it's nice to have someone. Like we all, we all played. Like you don't, you don't want someone right behind you, right? KCP knows that. Hey, that's his spot. Like KCP knows what Ben Malcolmore's is there to do. Like he knows that he's a shooter, and if he's not playing well, your minutes will be taken. So I think it's nice to have that little uh, healthy competition there, because uh, McElmoore is going to want minutes, and uh, it's it's cool to have another shooter that you can rely on uh, as insurance in case we don't have one going.
0: Yeah, I mentioned in the in the locker room pod, uh, and I really do feel this way, right now already Ben McLemore is the best athlete in the backcourt and he's the best shooter in the backcourt. And I think that gives him a realistic chance if he embraces the defensive end and if his shot selection kind of matches with what the Lakers ask of him. And quite frankly, if he makes shots, I see him potentially being an extremely valuable piece there. Uh, like I mentioned, he was actually on that Houston Rockets team their very best catch and shoot shooter. And the, mm-hmm. the, the bottom line is if you leave him open, if you leave him open, he's gonna be in that mid-40s, 43, 44% type of dude when he's wide open. And uh uh and just catch and shoot scenarios, he's gonna be around that 40% mark as well. If he if he defends anywhere near what his athleticism is capable of in this Laker defense, I think he's gonna be really valuable. And so I I think it was a fantastic signing, a no-brainer uh fit. And uh, I, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. I think that uh, I think that you know one of the problems last year, and it was an organizational down thing, was that they would occasionally have some uh, inferior defensive performances. Where and it started with LeBron and AD, they'd be a little sloppy, and then all everybody would be really sloppy. And having the depth that Ben McLemore brings, having six like bona fide guards that can play in your rotation, and uh, it just adds an accountability. Uh, to the defensive effort type of stuff makes it so that you're you really can't afford to slack off because there's just going to be a better option than you uh if you're if you're slacking on the other end uh uh, but yeah uh, is there anything i'm missing from last night's game in particular that was interesting
1: uh no i mean i thought it was a really fun game i think miami's just like better equipped than most to kind of switch everything really trap and again without it's funny THT I, I'm a little higher I think on THT than you but I think he would help last night another ball handler right also Kuzma was out Kuzma's not a ball handler but another guy you can throw it to uh, to kind of mitigate those Alfonso McKinney Malcolm Moore minutes where it's just really tough to kind of stay afloat and then Jimmy Butler took over which he's gonna do I thought it was funny like Andre Drummond switched on him made Jimmy Butler take a contested mid-range jumper I thought that was good defense Butler just hit it and he said, like, don't do that or something like that. Don't switch. So that was kind of fun. It was nice to see them stay competitive. They could have they could have folded a few times, right? Miami went up like ten uh, or eleven. Oladipo looked like fine, I guess, before he got hurt. Sadly, he got hurt late, but uh, I thought they defended really well. Um, and they kind of, I mean, they kind of held Jimmy Butler, Bam, to uh, a little bit of their averages, which all which is all you can ask in in that kind of game. And uh, no one really went went too crazy on them. So they had a shot, which is all you can ask. And that kind of, I thought the fouls though, I mean, it was just weird uh, when you give up 18 free throws in the first quarter, it's kind of tough to catch up to that. Like it's the game is just, that's, that's really tough to kind of mitigate as the game goes on. So uh, if they can not do that against Brooklyn, uh, they're not going to be favored at all against Brooklyn, but um, they have, if they can just keep it close, why not give them a chance?
0: Yeah. I liked their chances against Brooklyn a lot more when uh, KD wasn't playing. But but yeah, the competition has been the most impressive thing to me as well. Like, you know, after their first couple of games without LeBron and AD, uh, you know, in one of our pods, we talked about how the team just didn't really feel like they could win. There wasn't like that aura that surrounded the team for them to go Mm -hmm. in there last night down basically four of their top five offensive shot creators, literally LeBron and AD Kuzma and talent Horton Tucker and basically ride with a bunch of defenders and, and Dennis Schroeder and to compete like that. And don't forget, like that was a, I don't want to say a must win for Miami, but it was a really important game for Miami because right. they're in the middle of a big standings battle and they just tricked off a game to Memphis uh, at home mm-hmm. uh, where, where Memphis basically just took it to him and beat him. Uh, by like 12 I think so like it was one of those games where I guarantee you Eric Spolstra Jimmy Butler and all the guys in that locker room were like we got to get this one and mm-hmm. the Lakers came in there severely undermanned and, and were within three points uh, halfway through the third quarter or halfway through the fourth quarter so I agree with you I've been I've been super impressed with this team I was looking at the schedule yesterday and uh, uh correct me if I'm wrong but the remaining games it was Miami and then it was like Brooklyn and then it was like the New York Knicks Mm-hmm. and then uh, the Boston Celtics, and then there was one more in there. Uh, I can't remember I, exactly who it was, but, but they were all relatively winnable games. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I think they played the Hornets before they played the Hornets. Celtics. I think that's, that's the, it. Yeah, 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 so Hornets before the yeah, Celtics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But,
0: like, so basically it, this five-game stretch before LeBron and AD hopefully come back on the 17th, like I was like, like, uh, oh, two weeks ago, I never would have thought they could win these games, but all of them are possible. I mean, I think Brooklyn yeah. would beat them. Uh, but I mean, they can absolutely beat Charlotte. Charlotte without Gordon Hayward and without Lamella Ball. Um, uh, Boston is basically regressed to a 500 basketball team, which is which is ridiculous. And and then the New York Knicks are basically more or less the same team as the Lakers. They're just an extremely well coached, extremely physical, defensive oriented team that doesn't have a lot of shot creation. So it'll be kind of a battle of of matching archetypes. Uh, and uh, so I think. You know they're four and six. There's four games left potentially in this stretch. If they somehow get to you know six and uh, six and eight in that stretch, that'd be such a huge win um, uh, to have LeBron and AD come back. Um, and then obviously LeBron and AD back uh, will pro- they'll probably come with some sort of limited minutes type of deal. And, and yeah. having having the 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 ability to play basketball without them these two that they've built up over the stretch gives them the ability to kind of ease LeBron and AD back into it. And I think that sets them up for success.
1: Yeah, if they could just at least get one of them back, like if AD comes back in that Celtics game, it would kind of level the talent gap that's been been going on, right? Because a lot of these teams are just... I mean, Miami just has way more talent and it's kind of going down the line. I I think they can kind of match talent with New York and probably the Hornets as well. But like, you know, if you just get one of them back and kind of mitigate it. And yeah, six and eight is great. People were asking if they were going to lose 12 in a row. And I think we talked about it. That was never going to happen. They were never going to go on some crazy losing streak. The team's defense is too good. yeah, it'd be exciting if you get one in the back. Uh, a lot of people are going off LeBron's Instagram post where he's like, you know, I think he said something really corny about the rain it's coming soon or something like that where he said they'll, they'll be back soon. But, uh, yeah, like I am ex- I think they will be great. And uh, AD, I think, really came into the season we talked about it a lot. Like he really like slowly walked himself through uh, what you could tell he was not excited to come back that soon so i think a nice break will give him some rush some like urgency into it even if it's on a minute's restriction you know but i think he'll come back playing hard and kind of show uh who he is i mean he's been passed up in the media by every big you know they have Jokic and bead all those dudes above him, and we talked about this he's talented enough to be number one on that kind of list so um i think he'll come back with some urgency and just give take some of the pressure off of dennis Schroeder, off of you know all those other guys that are creating shots when they shouldn't be so um yeah if they can get him back by by the 15th and we'll have fans back by then as well hopefully that kind of changes the home court at staples as well so all that kind of goes into it and uh yeah it'd be cool if, the, if he comes back soon and if they can get at least i think they can get the knicks and hornets game uh, i don't think they'll get the brooklyn game i mean that's not really fair but uh, yeah i think the the hornets and the uh the knicks game is definitely winnable
0: yeah, if, and that would be that would be enough to make this entire operation a success. And then if you somehow manage – because the Celtics game is on the 15th, and Mark Stein said the AD might come back on the 17th. Now, who knows when they're coming back? I mean, it might even be further than that. But, yeah, like stealing a couple more is enough to make this a resounding success. Um, before we move to the KD podcast, I wanted to get your thoughts on just a couple of uh, uh, league-wide things. So mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, I had a, a take from earlier in the season – about how I thought that Phoenix was better than Utah. The main, the main reason was just because of the fact that I thought that their roster made more sense for what I usually think is going to become a successful playoff team, right? Because they've got a bunch of these switchable wings. Like They didn't even play Mikhail Bridges much. At the end of the uh, uh, at the end of the the Utah game because they favored the shooting with Cam Johnson, but Mikael Bridges is not a bad option and he can shoot the mm-hmm. ball. And uh, uh, Cam Johnson has just been defending so well that they've been opting for him instead of Mikael in their crunch time lineups. But their crunch time lineups, they're basically playing like Jay Crowder, big switching forward. They're playing. DeAndre Ayton, who who actually has defended pretty well. Uh, 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 He took a couple of bad shots at the end of that overtime game, Um, but like more or less he's developed into what like at least a serviceable center that they can play in that lineup. And then they just took turns with Chris Paul and Devin Booker; these two. Alpha Dog superstars and and they just got I thought they got better shots than Utah. Donovan Mitchell, as great as he is, went full Westbrook in that game. And it's like there were there were times where it actually made more sense to go to Bogdanovich because he had a better matchup or whatever it was. And, you know, I, I think uh, I think that's going to be the death of Utah as they just lean too heavily on Donovan Mitchell. But I, I thought that uh, you know, Phoenix lost to the Clippers last night. But it was textbook tail end of a back-to-back. They shot like mm-hmm. crap from three. Their defense wasn't quite where it was. Uh, the Clippers shot the lights out. It wasn't as much of a meaningful matchup, in my opinion. I thought it was really impressive what they did to Utah. Um, they really won that game in regulation if it wasn't for a crazy little spurt from Donovan Mitchell at the end. And then they out-executed them in over time pretty convincingly their roster just makes sense to me as a playoff roster they got the alpha dogs they got all the switching wings they've got a physical presence inside they 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 have everything they need i i would say that they are like right up there with denver as like the second and third best teams in the west when healthy i'd go lakers one i'd go phoenix and denver I'd have cl- the Clippers right below them, although I do think they're still a good matchup for the Lakers. What did you What did you think? Did you watch that Suns Jazz game at all?
1: I did. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating because like we talk about a lot, of the playoffs are all matchup kind of dependent, right? I mean, Utah was blowing through the regular season. They're on a back to back as well the other night, uh, and they blew out Portland because I think that's a bad matchup for them. But um, the shots that Utah gives up is, like, what Chris Paul wants, right? Like, I follow some Clipper fans. They're like, Chris Paul has loved playing Utah since, you know, 2014 or whenever Gobert was drafted because they played this drop coverage. Gobert's in the back. Now, Gobert can switch a little bit more than he used to, but still, he's giving up that mid-range jumper, and that's exactly what Chris Paul wants. That's exactly what Devin Booker wants. And those two come off uh, little screens from Aiton and he gets a little mid-range jumper and he hit a few to kind of ice the game, I think, against, against Utah. So uh, that's a fascinating matchup. I think they're really close together. Like, I don't think there's a big gap between Phoenix and Utah. I think Denver's like a little bit right above them. And I put the Clippers right there as well. So that's a hell of a top three or four in the West. Um, and all those teams, my, my only issue with Phoenix, I don't know about what you think, is like they play a lot of young guys. Like, there's a lot of young guys on that team. DeAndre Ayton is what? In his second or third year? Devin Brooker's about to hit his first playoffs. Uh, um, and no, Devin Brooker's awesome, but again, his first playoffs. Um, Mikhail Bridges is a young dude. Cam Johnson looks 18, like out there. Like, he looks absolutely. He looks really young out there so um, that's my only issue with Phoenix is like, they play a lot of really young guys I think Sarich at the five is kind of a is an interesting thing for them that they run a lot Um I, I thought that the Clippers really attacked that so yeah I like the Phoenix team I like Utah I think that's a toss-up series honestly like I, I think that's pretty close Um Denver as well so that's my only issue what do you do you think that's an issue with Phoenix like I see them playing a lot of really young young guys which I mean it should be fine they're very switchable they're nice on defense they're they can shoot but um that's my only issue when i go into a seven game like playoff series with them
0: the reason why i'm not necessarily worried about it is i think that um i think that the chris paul element kind of outweighs that you know mm-hmm. uh i'll give you an example like they weren't young players but the lakers picked up a lot of players last year that people just didn't think we're going to amount mm-hmm. to much, but when you, when there's an organization down, you know, uh, expectation of certain things that, uh, I think that, I think that everybody just kind of lives up to that expectation out of necessity. And I think like, you know, if you, you think about the things that are translatable to the playoffs, right? Like you, uh, you need to have some, you need to have a, a functioning defense. Well, The Suns have a great defense. That's going to translate well. It's not like Mm -hmm. their youth is going to suddenly sap them of the ability to defend in a playoff series. And then your superstar's ability to create extremely high-end shots also translates to the playoffs. And, you know, we don't know about Booker, right? Like, we have no idea Mm -hmm. what he looks like in a playoff game. However, I've seen enough basketball to know, like, like how how, tell me he's not going to be better than Jamal Murray in a playoff series. Like the only thing Jamal Murray has over him is reps. And I would argue that, that uh, I I would argue that Booker is actually significantly better. Like he's just not significantly, but he's a better player. And I think, I think that that gives him the ability to tap into the same type of, of looks that Jamal Murray gets in a playoff series. And so I, I think they, I think they make a ton of sense. Now I do think it was interesting when they put, Um, Royce O'Neal on Devin Booker he wasn't able Mm -hmm. to get separation as much and uh, he did some work in overtime against Mitchell where he got to a shot from the free throw line and he got a couple of good looks Um, uh, but Mitchell at the end of regulation forced him into that tough step back the point being they forced him into really tough shots I thought the higher quality shots they got down the stretch was actually Chris Paul and pick and roll and even then like even then, like he, there was one where Rudy Gobert, like, was kind of there and then dropped away on the baseline, and, and Chris Paul made it. And then there were a couple that Rudy Gobert got really good contests on, and he missed. And so, when I think about the Lakers defending him, you know, chances are uh, Booker is going to be going up against someone along the lines of Wesley Matthews, a guy that he's not going to be able to physically bully, and he's going to force him into tough shots. And then with Chris Paul, what the Lakers are going to do. Is they're going to hound him from behind on those pick and rolls, so he'll uh, he won't be able to get into his shot because Dennis Schroeder is going to chase him over the top and basically be reaching down over the top. The Lakers are really good at forcing guys out of uh, any sort of shot attempt, a shot attempt in the pick and roll. It's actually one of their biggest strengths, at least from a guard. They have weaknesses when it comes to bigger wings, guys that can take advantage of their smaller guards. But they're really good at taking the Dames and the Steps and, and those kinds of guys out of their game uh, with their pick and roll coverages, being so aggressive over the top of the screen. And so I, I, I think the Lakers are still a, a good matchup for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when you actually break it down to matchups, they're good against everybody, right? Like, I mean, the, right. the Lakers can take Rudy Gobert out of the paint by just having Anthony Davis spot up shoot and they can chase guys off the three-point line with the best in the league. So that kind of cancels out a lot of what Utah does really well. And I think that in an from an IQ standpoint, I just trust LeBron to out-execute Donovan Mitchell at the end of a playoff game. I just do. And then you look at... Phoenix, like I just said, they can chase Chris Paul over the top of the screens, and Devin Booker doesn't quite have the size to really victimize the smaller Laker guards. And then you look at Denver. Okay, Murray, Jokic, pick and roll. Well, guess what? You're gonna put LeBron and AD on that. Now they can just switch it. It'll literally shut down the action. And then on the other end, it's like you want Aaron Gordon to guard LeBron? Okay, cool. That means that uh Jokic is gonna guard AD, which he can't, and then someone's gotta guard Drummond, so you're gonna put Jokic on Drummond, which means that you're you're going to have to put Michael Porter Jr. either on LeBron or on Aaron or or on Anthony Davis. So there's just they can't guard the Lakers. They the, the matchups that they give up on the on the defensive end are going to be significantly worse than what the Lakers can do to cancel out a lot of what uh, a lot of what Denver does on the other end. The Clippers are the only team where you look at the matchups and you go, the Lakers can force Kawhi into fadeaways, but. He might make. He it. likes those. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He might. You you can force Paul George to take a bunch of jumpers off the dribble, but he might make them. And the question just becomes: Can the Clippers make enough off the dribble jump shots four games out of seven to beat the Lakers? I don't think they can, but that is a risk. There's an actual potential there for them to get that done. And so, I, I that that's why like it's easy for me to see the Lakers if they get healthy going on a run. They have the 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 requisite matchups. To win the specific series along the way.
1: And and did you catch that Clippers um the Clippers Suns game last night? We to catch the whole thing. I watched about um, half of it. Okay. So it's interesting. I thought at the end, um they they really made a tough time for Chris Paul. They were switching a lot of their screens. So they had like Paul George and Kawhi basically switching on them and then Devin Booker as well had to be defending one of the big big wings. And it kind of looked like the Damon CJ problem right two guards that are a little bit smaller than normal than regular guards and they had a tough time getting a shot off so i thought that was kind of interesting and obviously aiden is not a guy that i don't think they want to throw it to in the clutch right now but he had a good game um he played well i thought he made zubach really work zubach really work so i think i think that's their issue to me with phoenix is like once he gets to playoff time you have big wings uh big strong wings defending these guards. Like, can they get the shot off? Um, they had like Paul George chase over the top and then they had their bigs kind of uh, switch out and uh, defend his jump shots. And he couldn't really get a shot off at the end of that game. And now it's a back to back. And I understand like, he probably didn't have his legs, but I thought that was kind of interesting. So I think they all have like interesting matchups together. I think Jokic probably really beats up on Gobert. Um, he, he plays really well against him. So it's all these weird kind of match. And then John, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell turn into, like, the second coming of Michael Jordan when they play each other, which is just really strange. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, they, they both are, like, really streaky guards with, like, really strong pull-up jumpers. And uh, when it's going, it's going. So those are two two matchups that will be fun. But, again, when you have LeBron and AD, I think that's when that's – the big matchup the Lakers have and that's and they have guards that defend really well and I think they match up well but the West is really good this year so it's it's fun to see all these teams it's it sucks cuz all these teams are pretty much hitting their stride right now like you could see like all the teams trying to figuring out what they want to do every night and the Lakers kind of have to postpone that because they don't have their team yet so you're seeing all these teams Denver's playing well Phoenix Utah all these teams are really starting to to click and figure out their playoff kind of rotation and the Lakers kind of have to wait for that but again they built been a lot of chemistry last year, and uh, hopefully that kind of continues. But it's cool seeing the West being this this good right now.
0: It's so good. All of these teams are like mm-hmm. they're are legitimately like f- uh, five bona fide potential championship contenders in the West between Denver, Utah, Phoenix, and then the two LA teams. Um, the, the, the Blazers are kind of faltering a bit, but I think they'll figure things out. I think Norman Powell makes them better. I just think they haven't really figured out how to integrate them yet. And then, and then, you know, Dallas is more or less interesting as well. But yeah, I think, I think the most interesting thing, thing to me with the Lakers is they always have these like aces in the hole that other teams can't go to putting LeBron and AD on your two best players so that you can't run pick and roll. Um, I think the Lakers are by far, the best trapping team in the league when it comes to trapping pick and roll. Mm-hmm. They are so good at making you pick up your dribble 28 feet from the basket. And then as soon as the but dribbles picked up, recovering back and starting this chaotic rotation. Yep. So like, even if Chris Paul, who by the way, struggled in isolation against the bigger guards against the Clippers last night, even if Chris Paul starts lighting you up, the Lakers can start trapping. And so, and, and, and they feel comfortable in that sort of situation. So, in a playoff series, the Lakers have these aces in the hole AD at the five, where they can create space offensively. LeBron and AD on your two best players so that you can't switch pick and rolls. And then them their ability to trap pick and rolls with their guards. I just like their ability to, to kind of uh, uh, have a bunch of different options to attack you defensively. And, and then now I think they have more than enough shooting. I mean, I, dude, I, I cannot believe how good Marquise Morris looks. And he didn't. Oh, he wasn't. He wasn't shooting well from three last night. But like he, he's become the guy, kind of like Marcus Morris is for the Clippers, where like you can't just put a bum on him because he'll score. <laughs> like, and I don't want him to shoot too much when LeBron and AD come back because that's what hurts the Clippers with Morris sometimes. But I, I do think that like he's he's just better than he was last year. I don't know if he was just in the gym with his brother all summer or what the deal is. He's better than he was last year.
1: Yeah, he's another vet, kind of like Wes Matthews, who started picking up late. You know, that short off season I think really hurt him. Um, and I, I talked to about it in the summer. I thought getting him for like the vet minimum was robbery. Like, I, like, I don't know how you watch that playoffs and think like he's not a helpful player. I don't know how he didn't. Now, maybe the Lakers have something for him this summer. I don't know, but like, I was just surprised they were able to, to contain him. And what's amazing is like, you talked about that, um, chaoticness with the defense, right? When they trap and they have people running around. Right now, that's Marquise Morris on the back line. Like, that's, that's who's on the back line. He's rim protecting. He's getting out to shooters. He had like a, did you see his defense on Jimmy Butler last night? He had like a really nice contest on Jimmy Butler, made him air ball, I think. And, uh, I'm just imagining like that guy turns into Anthony Davis. That guy turns into LeBron James eventually. But right now, it's West, it's, a uh, Marquise Morris, you know, fronting out the back line and uh, protecting the rim and he he got ejected last night and i thought it was funny um but and then his brother got ejected the next game but you could tell like he you could tell he cares right like he he doesn't he like he doesn't care that ad and lebron are out he wanted to win last night and i thought he got fouled but again that was a tough time to get two technicals that kind of put the game away it was i think it was like a six point game and then miami had two free throws and from there it was over but yeah i like his his passion, his fight. He's playing really well. He's another guy that can get his own shot right in that starting lineup. He's a guy you can give the ball to in the post. Doesn't matter who it is. If he has a little bit of a size advantage, he'll hit his little fadeaway, his pull up. He has a nice two dribble pull up that he goes to. So, yeah, he's he's been playing great. Um, he he had a few big threes to kind of stem the tide a little bit, keep the game close, and uh, it, it's cool to see him going. That's a good part about this stretch, right? It's gotten some guys going who. Who ha- wouldn't have been able to because they wouldn't have got the shots. I think like West is able to take five threes a game. You know, Marquise is able to hold the ball, dribble, kind of feel, feel the rhythm and kind of get going. So hopefully that kind of keeps up. And if we had to take a loss to get KCP going, I think everyone would have took it. So if it gets all those three guys going, um, it'll be great when those two, those two get back.
0: Yeah, he uh Mark Heath, because of his growth defensively this year. I think he looks a little thinner than he did to start the season, a little thinner even than he was last year. He mm-hmm. uh, gives you just another wing option defensively. I don't like him defending in space. He's not good against quickness. Uh but that's why he succeeded against Jimmy Butler is it, when it comes to the the guards who play like physical offense, like getting beating a guy to a spot and then bumping him off to get to a spot. The uh, 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 Marquise just gives you another option there. And so now the Lakers, when they get to get to a Kawhi Leonard matchup, it's, it used to be like, oh, it's just LeBron and Kuzma. But now it's like there's LeBron, there's Kyle Kuzma. You can always throw Anthony Davis at one of those guys. And then Marquise Morris has turned into more or less that type of option. And then Wesley Matthews, even though he's short, actually kind of has a gift for guarding bigger physical forwards. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, about the, the, the podcast, uh, the Kevin Durant podcast yesterday. So to frame this discussion, you and I talked a little bit about this before, um, but I want to pay Kevin Durant a compliment because, you know, most people know I'm a LeBron fan. It's not something I try to hide. He's the guy that got me interested in basketball. So I have a little loyalty there, I guess you could call it. Uh, but I also love Kevin Durant. I know, I know people think I hate him, but it's just I've had to root against him over the years, and that's a pain in the ass because he's really, really good. Uh, uh, but I think, I think he's kind of become the anti-LeBron in a lot of ways in the sense that as much as I love LeBron as a basketball player, like the dude, I find him to be unlikable sometimes in terms of the way he portrays himself to the world because it's very – your meeting is representative. It's very—I don't want to say fake, but it's just very like filtered and not genuine all the time. And ever since Kevin Durant had that uh, incident with the burner accounts, this dude is just like, "Here, I here's who I am. Take it or leave it." And in that podcast, it felt like you were getting 100% unfiltered Kevin Durant. Like, the, you know, uh, uh, I think like I think when it comes to human beings, like that is by far uh, far more more interesting approach, not pretending like you're perfect, not pretending like you're, you don't ever have struggles or that you don't have downsides to your personality. You can be a nice guy and also be an asshole one day. We all have our moments like that. And so I think like Katie really embracing that genuine, this is who I am. I don't care that you're not meeting like a very politician type of personality. I don't care. This is how I prefer to portray myself. I think it makes him way more likable. And I think like, uh, honestly, like I think, I think it's it's been really really cool to see and it makes it makes uh it makes those sorts of podcasts and things like that way more fun to listen to because you feel like you're actually getting something out of it and all in all i just i just thought it was a really entertaining podcast
1: yeah i like how you kind of frame that because uh lebron kind of feels like so far right like like you can't reach lebron right you kind of think about he's like playing on the court he's doing movies like he's not a guy that's like like you can talk to, I guess, Katie is online a lot. He's a guy that I feel like you can feel like you can get a reply from if you reply to him a certain way, if you come at him respectively, or even I guess not respectively. A lot of people come at him really sideways and they get, they get responses. But like, he's just a guy that like, it feels like you can talk to. And in that podcast was great. It felt like, it felt like a guy, you know, at the 24, right? Like a guy that, you know, who plays really well and you can talk shit with after, and you could talk about the game with, and he's like, he'll be like oh yeah you suck that game and you know you could like you could talk to him in that way that's what kevin durant came off of uh, for me it, it felt very genuine it felt like a guy who just wants to hoop like he did not sound like this huge guy who has you know a marketing a- marketing agency and has you know shows and you know is a millionaire whatever he didn't feel like any of that he just felt like a normal dude who plays basketball who wants to talk hoops who's like who doesn't want to see a graph when he's talking hoops you know who doesn't want to see um field goal percentage when he's when you're having a hoop conversation, as he'll say. So it was just really cool to see him kind of talk about that. And I think that's important. I think we need guys like that in the media that are out, out and because he's the best at what he does. He's a superstar in the stuff that we're talking about. So like it, he knows more than I'll ever forget about basketball. So it's kind of cool to see a guy like that come out in a podcast and be so genuine and have real conversations about what goes on on the court.
0: Well, the fans have something to really gain from it that way. Like that, that, that's the Mm -hmm. interesting part to me is like, you know, I, I feel like, like, man, like I would love to uh, just sit and talk basketball with him for like an hour and just pick his brain about like, to me, the very interesting thing to him is like uh, uh, his particular, you know, we jokingly call it the bag, but like his, his specific scoring skill set and like how you develop that over the years. Like what's, how do you bridge the gap between like. Uh, uh, working on something in the gym by yourself to making it work in practice to making it work in a game like what what is what are the thresholds that you try to hit before you try to attempt to do something in a game you know all i think there's so much that i think you can learn from somebody like that when they're actually being genuine and you know when lebron's in a podcast like when he's with rj and shanning like rj and shanning try really hard to get him to open up but it's just you know, you'll get some jokes yeah. out of him. You will it's just you're always meeting his representative. And I, I just think I objectively think that the uh, that the Kevin Durant approach is a more likable approach, even if it does expose you to people talking trash about what you might say on Twitter or things along those lines. When the funny part is, is like you know uh, uh the reality is is that's that's the way everybody is we're just just some people filter it in a different way and mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just think it's likable but i did want to talk about a couple of things that he specifically mentioned in the podcast so uh the second part that we'll get to is the analytics part uh but the first thing that he said was interesting was he was talking about the warriors and he was like the 2017 warriors and and uh, I think Bansky asked him basically something more along the lines of, like, you know, what did it feel like, you know, walking into every gym and just feeling like you were better than everybody and that you were going to win? And, and, you know, he more or less said, felt good. Uh, but he <laughs> also said, like, you know, he also said, like, we, you know, we weren't, uh, like, physically better than everybody. We outsmarted people. And we actually had to play smart basketball to win these games. Now, he's not wrong. Uh, but this is something – this is a bone I've picked with KD forever. The, the He always – he on he a half dozen different occasions and different podcasts and different formats has complained about this idea that uh, uh, that he approaches the game through a skill perspective and the LeBrons of the world approach the game through a, a, an athleticism perspective and they're just physical brutes. And right. know, that, always, that always has driven me nuts because it's like, dude, you're seven feet tall. Okay, <laughs> like when you – when you go to your shot, you are. It is more or less the same as LeBron bouncing a dude off with his shoulder on his way to the rim. You are you are leaning on your physical tools to get to your shot. Now, I I do think that Kevin Durant has a more polished skill set than LeBron. I think that goes without saying. We're not going to sit up here and lie, but at the same time, like it it, it is his polished skill set in conjunction with what he does physically that allows him to do. Uh, to do what he does. And I just wish, I wish he'd get off of that hill cause it's so frustrating to me to be like, yeah, dude, you're right. Like you guys had to outsmart people in 2017, but you also were just way better. And and like, and a big reason why you're way better is you had a seven foot tall guy who moves around like Anthony Davis who can shoot from everywhere. And, and that was a big reason why you guys were way better than everybody. In addition to what Stefan and the original warriors crew could do. But I just, it bothers me when Kevin Durant like glosses over his physical tools and how he uses them to be a great basketball player.
1: Yeah. It was funny. It was like, yeah, we're not beating you with physicality. We're just smarter than you, which I thought was kind of funny, um, that he said that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to see him kind of get into that Warriors run because he was like, you teams were complaining like, Oh, we're just more talented than you, which. I mean, it's kind of true. You have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I mean, you are kind of more talented than everybody. It, and, but I mean, still, like, I like the way he kind of framed it though, where he was kind of annoyed that all people took from that was the three point shooting, right? Because that's what the league took from it. They're like, oh, these are three point shooters. And he he brought up, he's like, I led the league in mid range pull ups. And then, you know, the counter to that is, like, you're Kevin Durant. You could shoot whatever shot you want, and it's going to be an efficient shot. So um, he's like, yeah, but Sean Livingston took them, you know, and he was just kind of going into it. But uh, I think he really, like, you could tell he gets annoyed at the, like, um, the thought that it was easy right? Like the thought that um it just came to them naturally, like they just won the title without uh working for it. And you could tell that really bothers them, like it would bother anybody. So um that was cool. The way he kind of framed it, it was like, yeah, we, I mean, we we're probably more talented, but we were also smarter. We used our, our basketball IQ was higher. We made the right plays, right? And you could see today how the Warriors are, they can't run their same offense, right? It, no matter what, what's going on. So it's kind of cool the, the way he kind of framed it. And uh, he was talking about how, like, I, I think he just kept going into that and just uh, he was saying that uh, after after he left the Warriors, I think, and uh, he he went to Brooklyn and they were talking about how Kyrie plays, right? And how Kyrie has this beautiful game and Kyrie's game isn't analytically kind of, uh, isn't an- analytically um, put up. So uh, it's just a beautiful art that he, he plays the game with. So I, I thought it was interesting just the way he kind of went, kept going into that. And he was going into how... Uh, where is that going with this? <laughs> but uh, he was going into how, like, <laughs> I don't remember where I was going into this, but, like, how the analytics kind of don't support uh, everything that's going on. And, all, oh, yeah, the where I wanted to go is, was, like, he's saying, like, people who shouldn't be shooting, like, five threes a game are go- are pulling up, like, five times a game from three, right? Because it's a more uh, analytically proven shot when those guys shouldn't be shooting that. So that's where I was kind of going with it. Like, he was going with the basketball's not played the same way, the way it was, like, when he was going in. I think I was yeah, rambling for a bit, but no,
0: you're good. Uh, uh I mean, they, they covered so much information in the pod that i like, I mean, like you mentioned, like he talked about, uh, uh, they talked about analytics in the way that, um, uh, like a guy that averages 20 and 10 in one team is nowhere near as good as a guy who averages 20 and 10 in another, which is all stuff I agree with. I mean, like I always bring up my college right. experience, like, I averaged sixteen and ten as a freshman, and I was a way le- I was a way worse basketball player then than I was the following year when I averaged like twelve and seven, and I made an all-conference team because I just I was a better basketball player. I, my, my, everything I did on the floor was more impactful than what I did when I was putting up bigger numbers, and it, so much has to do with whether or not the uh, stuff is being run directly through you or if it's being. You know, or if you're in a more subsidiary role, and and all of these different things. I think the biggest thing that he mentioned in the pod that uh, 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 that was interesting is he basically said that uh, that he was using John Hollinger as an example, but he basically said that that the numbers fail to capture the natural flow of a basketball game, and that to me is the the most interesting part. Like you, there, there's no way to quantify any two basketball possessions as the exact same. They aren't. It may be the same play, but you don't know what's been happening immediately. Before then, you don't know what's been happening happening immediately after that. You don't know what kind of coverage the defense is in. You don't know whether or not you've been touching the ball a lot leading into that moment so you've got a good rhythm or if you're coming in cold off the bench or if there's a lot of pressure or if there's not a lot of pressure whatever it is everything is different and and you know that's why i think it's so important to not be thinking about numbers while you're playing uh, unless right. it comes naturally to you you know like for instance i'll get like J- jason tatum has done a really good job of adding a sidestep three to his game as opposed to a traditional like pump fake one dribble pull up getting to like 18 feet And so because he's done it so many times, it feels natural for him, you know, but there are a lot of guys who do that where they'll over pursue a three at the expense of an easier shot and it doesn't feel natural and it takes them out of their flow. It takes them out of the rhythm and they'll miss. And, you know, that's that's the thing we have to to always factor in there is is uh, uh, the way that each possession has to be kind of viewed within its own prism. And, you know, one of the things that I think Kevin Durant kind of glosses over, and this is where it brings me back to the physical stuff that he's talking about, you know, being smarter and being more skilled versus being a physical brute. Well, the reality is, is like, if you ask Kevin Durant, like, dude, if you get to your spot, what's the difference between you making and missing? Usually it's how fatigued you are. Did you get enough separation? Like, is the defender bumping you as you're kind of going up into your shot, causing you to lose a little bit of balance? All of that is part of the physicality of basketball and the way that it plays out in jump shooting and in, in other skilled moves. You know, if you were to break down a, a Lakers net series, never in a million years are you going to give the Lakers a chance based on their art form and what they do uh-huh. as skilled basketball players. However, you know, the idea is is when push comes to shove and it's 90-90 to 90 in the fourth quarter of game two of the finals, the idea is, is that we've weared down... Kevin and James and Kyrie at the point of attack on rebounds the other end when they have to guard all of these things. We've been wearing them down so that when Kevin Durant hits Kyle Kuzma with a wicked spin move at the top of the key game tied at 90 with five minutes left, he just doesn't quite get the same amount of lift. He just isn't quite on balance. And it's not like when he's in the gym by himself working on the game. It's different. And that's what causes guys to miss those types of shots. And And that's where you gain the advantage back is uh, and where on the other end, the Lakers are kind of more embracing that physicality. And they're actually using that to their advantage by getting all the way to the rim and shots that aren't going to miss uh, when you're a little bit more physical. Uh, and so yeah. I, think that, I think that that was interesting, but I, I, I do think his larger point, though, that like uh, um, uh, that John Oliver coming into the league or John Hollinger, excuse me, coming into the league. And it kind of started that movement. And, And this is the last thing I'll say about it. Like, you know, the problem is ego. Because these guys that do all the numbers, they're smart. They're smart guys. Like these are guys that are worked really mm-hmm. hard in school. They've worked really hard in school. They've studied. You know, a lot of these guys have like you know statistics degrees or you know they're you know computer scientists or whatever it is that they bring to the table. These dudes are right. you know they they are amongst the nerds. They are the best of the nerds, and so they have egos, and so they don't handle well the idea of someone like me who has. Experienced these sorts of things, or Kevin, who's experienced it at a much higher level, looking at them in the face and being like, no, dude, you're wrong. Like, this isn't how it goes. Whereas super analytical thinker who has a giant ego is going to be like, like no, nope, you, you're, you you're lying in the face of data. And and I think that's where the gap kind of grows is just that, that ego that these guys have matching up with an ego that's not derived from athle- uh from academics, but rather from athletics. And it's just a classic like jerks versus uh, 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 nerds versus jocks kind of, uh, kind of
1: debate. Yeah. He put it pretty eloquently. He said like, like those guys, obviously, John Hollinger again, the league opened it up, opened up careers for a lot of people, right? And that's a good thing. Like we have more people getting opportunities, you know what I mean? But like he, he, the way that he put it was like they don't, they can't understand the encore game, so they can only understand it through the numbers, right? So that's the only way they can process the game, right? Like we say, a lot of people are watching these games on Excel sheets, right? Like because you can't watch thirty teams at once; it's impossible. But they have, a, they have to have opinions on all thirty, all thirty teams, so that when that happens. Uh, Oh, shit. I have someone at my door. But, uh, once, but when, but when that happens that, uh, you have, you have these guys that can only understand it through numbers. So it makes it tough for, uh, it makes it tough for that, that to kind of blend, uh, together. But my favorite part of the pod was you brought up the, uh, you brought up the fatigue part of it, right? And so when, uh, when KD talked about it, he said the game has changed because he was watching, he was watching the, uh, the Nets play the Hawks, I think, uh, from the sidelines and he was seeing how, um, they went 10 straight possessions. Each team shot 10 times or something without stopping. And he's like, man, I know these guys are tired, which I think is really fascinating because you think the game is slower now. A lot of fouls, a lot of replays, but he was saying he was watching and like he was seeing uh, each team go like 10 straight possessions, uh, timeout and shooting and, uh, how he's like, man, I know that they're tired. I know that there's no way they have their legs in their shots. So I thought that was interesting that he was saying like the game is actually a lot faster now. You have to process the game a lot quicker. Teams are shooting, uh, way quicker in the shot clock. Uh, There's no more running the offense around and it's just whoever gets the open three pulls it up and you have to run back. So what do you think about that part? I thought that was really interesting when he said like the game is kind of really different now. It's so much faster than it was uh, before.
0: Well, he's right. He's hundred percent right, and it's something that I've talked about uh, at length um, on Twitter. Just this idea that uh, the the game is far more athletic and, and mobile than it ever has been. He connected it to injuries, which I think is fascinating. I don't know that that are necessarily connected because I tend to think that injuries are more connected to uh, managing wear and tear. And like the reality is, is you know we should be able to as a as a league we should be able to do a better job of monitoring wear and tear to prevent injuries. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, like, but he, but at the same time, like he's right. Like there, there is something to be said about the fact that, you know, you know, seven bodies in the paint on any given possession, like it was in the eighties, isn't going to resemble athletically, you know, what, 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 what people have been dealing with uh, in this era. And I, and I do think there's some truth to that, but I mean, more or less, like I tend to think these things will even out like uh, uh throughout NBA history if you so just if you google NBA league averages it takes you to a basketball reference page that just kind of lays down statistical, uh, uh, the landmarks from year to year. And if you look like pace is like pace kind of just goes up and down and it goes up and down. And, and what it usually reins it in is defense. Like defenses just get really like the pace is really heavy right now, but then just wait until teams completely forego offensive rebounding to get back in transition. And all of a sudden it's going to make more sense to, uh, to, uh, Uh, to change your approach because all of a sudden the transition opportunities aren't there or vice versa. Like a team might, you know, uh, uh, heavily emphasize offensive rebounding and make it so that if you do run in transition, you give up uh, offensive rebounds. Like there are a bunch of different aspects to it, but the league always finds a way to correct itself. And I do, I do think it's fascinating that teams like Utah and the Lakers and teams that have had a lot of success this year defensively have done so by taking away the three point line and, and making mm-hmm. it so that uh, you know teams have to take shots that they're not comfortable with, whether it's in the mid range or driving into all of their centers. And uh, I, I, I've always found that sort of that dynamic to be super interesting. And for the record, I think this is what's going to make the uh, uh, the Lakers Nets finals, if it happens, be so interesting because it is a super conflicting style type of thing. Because the Lakers do run uh, when they have LeBron and Marcus All in the game but they run from the standpoint of they have their wings run the floor and they'll just throw giant outlet passes. That they'll have Anthony Davis leak out for like quick post-ups and things like that. Um, but, you know, in, re- in relation to the rest of the league, they don't run all that much. And then Brooklyn's up and down and up and down. So, like, yeah. it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And then physicality versus skill. And, you know, supreme offensive talent versus a team that is – you know, arguably the best defensive team of this era. And all of that just kind of like kind of matching into this, like kind of uh un- immovable object running into the unstoppable force kind
1: of thing. Right. And, and like for the Lakers, I mean, it was funny, like hearing, hearing a player's perspective is always awesome because uh, Austin Rivers had played on the Rockets last year. Right. So he was on the team with James Harden in the playoffs in the bubble and he did a podcast and he was saying like, uh, During the end of that Rocket series, like he was getting switched on a Dwight Howard, right? Like he's in, and now Dwight Howard's not a good post player, but he's like, dude, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing on Dwight Howard? Like, this makes no sense. Dwight Howard just catching, just dumping in. So I thought it was funny. Like, we see these, all these matchups and switching, and sometimes it's really just comes down to like, look, this guy's way bigger than me. Like, why are we switching everything? So I think it's funny to see in like a Nets kind of Lakers matchup, like the Nets are going to play small. I mean, they just have to. There's, they can't really match up with AD, Drummond, Marcusol, all that. So it's going to be like, and like you said, like kind of wearing them down through a series. I mean, like if you watch KD in the playoffs, you watch those guys when he was obviously not on the Warriors, but you know, those Oklahoma City teams, um, they struggled like down the stretch. And I think that's because those dudes are tired at the end. Those mid-range fadeaway jumpers aren't as clean in the fourth quarter with with uh with a little bit of time left. And I think all that kind of matters. It's why LeBron being able to get to the rim is probably the most important skill in basketball. You know, it's the most important thing that LeBron does. He's able to get to the basket and create from there. And I think that's where the battle will be. You know, the Nets have enough offensive firepower where it might not really matter who's tired because they have three mega superstars who can score the ball. But, I think that's an interesting point. Like obviously basketball is not played as we say on Excel spreadsheets. So it's, it's kind of fun to see KD kind of talk about it. And uh, with Draymond green, who's another guy, uh, I love what Draymond said. He's like, they called me a tweener and I wanted them to forever regret to ever use that term and it's kind of cool because you don't go on, you don't go play at 24 fitness and be like i need a power forward i need a center i need a shooting guard you don't do that you just go and you pick five players to go play basketball with now it's nice to have a guy who's tall but i mean i like how draymond kind of fit that It was like you know these guys are just way too worried about shooting and percentages and stuff like that instead of just playing the game so it was a cool podcast to listen to
0: I thought he made a, a really interesting point about how the tweener is extinct now in the sense that, like, there's no such thing as a tweener because positionless basketball has kind of taken over. Right. Um, one last thing I wanted to say before we get you out of here. Uh, uh, this was from the little chat that uh, they had running this morning, Kevin Durant and, uh, and okay. on on, the, on Twitter. And so someone asked, basically, like, are you worried about uh, – are you worried at all about the uh, um, integrating everybody back in together when you guys haven't played together in so long, and how and how that might translate to the playoffs? And basically, he was like, "We all got high basketball IQs," and and the bottom line is is that like like for really smart basketball players it doesn't take long to figure things out and 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 you know i think i thought that that was really interesting cuz i think it's something to keep in mind with the lebron bringing lebron back on board and bringing anthony davis back on board having like a brain like lebron involved with that process just makes it a lot a lot smoother and you know and uh come to think of it like you know the really interesting thing. This is actually something that popped up in a podcast uh, yesterday that I listened to. It's Ryan Rosillo, and he basically was talking about how he would rather have an average defense in a super elite offense than an average offense and a super elite defense, which I thoroughly disagree with. And the reason why I disagree with it is that it's not about – like because if you think of it from a math perspective, it's the same, right? Like all you need to do is score more points than your opponent. So who cares if you're doing it by giving them up or by scoring them on the other end? Like that shouldn't make a difference, right, in theory. But when you're trying to take regular season data and translate it to the playoffs – you have to look at the stuff that usually translates well, and historically in the NBA, in the NBA, the thing that translates best to the playoffs is elite high end defense, which is why the team that wins the championship is almost always an elite high end defense. The reality is, is like you look at a James Harden has a history of his offensive game tailing off in the postseason. You know Kevin Durant, outside of those years in Golden State, has a history of his efficiency tailing off in the postseason. These these guys, they, it is much more difficult to do what you do offensively in a playoff environment. However, defensively, it's the same job. There is nothing that changes about it. the The other team might make or miss more based on your physicality and what the refs allow and things along those lines. But you are doing the same thing defensively in the def- in the postseason that you do in the regular season. It translates better. And then the other thing, too, is uh, when you look at offense, the things that translate to the postseason offensively are things at the rim. You mm-hmm. uh, you, you never have to worry about you know uh, a physical, aggressive offense at the rim becoming less effective in the postseason, unless you are an absolute brute force offensive player that does nothing but go to the rim. Think of Giannis, guys along those lines, where then a defense can kind of scheme for it. But if you can get to the rim in addition to a well-balanced offense – And if you can defend at an extremely high level, those things will translate more, which is why I would rather have an elite defense with an average offense than the opposite, because I can count on that elite defense remaining elite in the postseason in a way that the offense might not necessarily.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's the way to look at it, too. And shots can fall or not fall, you know, in the playoffs. And it I think defense kind of, uh, it doesn't change, but the intensity goes up, right? You're more intense defensively. Those those shots that are open are uh, for like three seconds might be open for one second now, right? Like, can you shoot in the playoffs? It's like why a guy like Lou Williams always really struggles. He's one of the worst playoff numbers um in league history because his jumpers just aren't as uh, open when they get to the playoffs. And I think uh, there's a playoff shooting and regular season shooting. I think that's true. I think that's why Milwaukee struggled as well. Now they've changed up their offense. They have Drew Holiday, who's a little bit more of an isolation scorer. But you know, in their past playoffs, Giannis would kick out, and those those threes just aren't as open for those shooters. So they instead of shooting forty percent, they shoot like you know thirty, thirty three, thirty four percent from three, and that really impacts the whole game. So I, I feel like defense one hundred percent translates better. I mean, there's all these cliches: defense wins championships, all that. Now those are uh the still cliches but you know the cliches for a reason i think that does matter um and again in the playoffs you kind of are gonna lean on your stars right your stars are going to create every shot uh i feel like the offensive ratings through the regular season kind of can be misleading um especially like teams that are beating up on bad teams and stuff like that can really can really hurt you but if your defense is consistent i think that can stick i think that's 100 more important um then well, obviously you need a good offense still but i think if your defense is like the teams don't usually win a championship without being top 10 in defense at least i believe i think those are the numbers the nets are going to test that this year for sure but uh yeah i think i think defense definitely is more more important going going to the playoffs
0: yep we're on the same page all right man did you have anything more you wanted to add today
1: uh, I think that's it. And I'll just say that uh, we're planning to do locker room on Monday. at uh, Yes, I think s- at seven. So make sure you download the locker room app. I think it's only for iPhone users for right now. But uh, yeah, make sure to download that we will be there on there around 7pm Pacific. I think that's when the Knicks game should end so
0: yeah then the, the yeah. game starts at 4:30. i'm sure raj and i'll be tweeting through it and then we'll do a locker room after uh, but thank you guys so much for listening uh the podcast version i'm literally gonna put it up right now so give me like 15 minutes raj i always appreciate your time as usual i hope everybody has a great
1: weekend and we will see you guys on monday see you guys